Last week in the second half of Matthew 10, we looked at how we're not above Jesus, didn't we? Uh, the servant is not above his master. How we're basically going to be juice and persecution too. And, and then also how we looked at how we're here to preach the gospel. We, you know, we say we're not above the master in terms of thinking that we're going to get this special treatment when we, when we do do the things of God. But also how we're not above the master, that we have some sort of funny, new, fangled way and better way of doing things than what Jesus told us to do which is go, go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Um, we, we looked at how we're, we're to make known the truths of the word from the housetops, didn't we? It's not something that we just whisper and secretly tell people that we're there to preach, preach the truth of the word of God. How God told us not to fear them, and that's those that will and do persecute us, but to fear him. Uh, and, and then how he protects those that are confessing him, preaching the gospel. And that's not just, you know, carte blanche, nothing will ever happen if you preach the gospel. But of course, there is some protection that comes with that. Um, the, the peace, you know, that, that, that was promises between God and men, but, but there's division between families, isn't there? And, you know, he came and he brought division and we, many of us have experienced that already. And if you haven't, you probably will do if you go on to serve the Lord, but it's not something to shy away from. Um, and, and then we also saw how there's blessings promised for those that blessed Jesus' disciples, didn't we? And when you're going out and preaching the gospel, just getting received by people, whether even if they don't get saved, just, just giving a blessing, whether it's a cup of cold water, you know, in the name of a disciple or whatever it is, is, is you know, people get rewarded for that as well. And, and, you know, and they're things that sometimes you don't always think of when we're out trying to preach the gospel and represent the Lord. Um, and we're going to continue now with Matthew chapter 11 and verse 1. So he sent out his disciples and, and it says here in, in verse 1, it says, And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he dis departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Um, I'd like to um, just quickly pray as well before we continue. Father, thank you for this great chapter of the Bible. Please help me to preach it accurately now. Help me to preach it um, as you'd want it preached. Help me to just um, edify those in the room here and those, those also watching who can't be here, Lord. And, and I, I pray that you just fill me with your spirit now and, and just, just help everyone here to be full of the spirit as well and just to be attentive to your word. In Jesus' name we pray all of this. Amen. Um, okay, so he sent out his disciples. Does he then just focus on studying now? He's like, right, I've sent out the disciples. Now it's time for me to really study and, and maybe do a bit of admin. And, you know, because I'm sure there's a few things I had to sort out, you know, make sure that, that Judas isn't messing up with the old money collection and everything else. Well, no, he, he leads by example, doesn't he? And, and it's, a, you know, just that little bit of a verse there where we just see after he sent them out, when Jesus made an end of command his 12 disciples, he departed, that's teach to preach their cities. And it's just, just a great reminder that Jesus Christ led by example, didn't he? And, and everyone who wants, you know, to lead in one way or another in life does need to lead by example, don't they? And it's no good, you know, it'd be no good if I was standing here preaching on soul winning, you've got to get out soul winning, get out soul winning, and then I never went soul winning. But how, you know, there are people that do that. Now, sadly, a lot of the time, then they stop preaching on soul winning, don't they? Because it's, it's very hypocritical to be preaching you must go out you must go out they're not doing it yourself but we should lead by example shouldn't we and it's not just myself in a position here preaching from the pulpit and, and leading leading a church in in this nation 
you know, ev everyone has different positions. A father should be leading by example, shouldn't they? Yeah, it's no good if, if I'm telling my kids, don't do this, behave like this, and then I'm doing the same at home. Yeah, what, the, the greatest way anyone's going to learn is by watching and copying. Yeah, it's one thing to, to say something, it's another thing to do it. We need to do it, we need to lead, and for all of us, and whether that's mums at home with the kids, whether that's older kids wanting to lead by example for the younger kids. You know, older kids here, if you sometimes get frustrated that maybe a younger kid is playing up and getting all the attention of your parents, maybe you need to lead by example a bit better. Maybe if you lead by example, you might end up getting a bit, bit more of that attention, a bit more time that maybe is lacking because your younger ones are playing up. You know, we, we, all, we can all lead by example in life, in many areas of our life, in the workplace, in the church as well. Mature Christians should be leading by example in the church, shouldn't they? And, and the more we lead by example, the more we do the things that God wants us to do, the healthier this church will be, the healthier those areas of your life will be. Jesus Christ did that. But here's an interesting thing here as well. Notice that second to last word there. It said, it said uh, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Whose cities is he talking about here? The 12 disciples. Now, he went to preach, to teach and preach in their cities. He sent them out and he goes into their cities. And you might be thinking, well, of course, you know, they're all their cities. Well, I believe it's the 12 disciples' home cities here. Because if you jump forward to verse 21, where he, he basically, in verse 21, upbraids Bethsaida. Okay, so he, he, he's kind of going through these cities and he says, Woe unto thee, Chorazin. Then he says, Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which should have done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Now, you don't have to turn there. John 1.44 says, Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Okay, that's the city of Philip, Andrew and Peter, that he's now upbraiding and he's basically, make it clear, he's gone out and he's done things, he's done miracles there. And then in verse 23, it says, and now Capernaum, which is where Matthew sat at the receipt of custom, if you remember, in Capernaum. So I, I believe, just from looking at that, because I don't think that's in there by mistake, that he went to teach and preach. He commands them, he sends them out, and he goes to teach and preach in their cities. I think it's probably because of the, 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 the message that we get in four different Gospels, by the way. So it's an important message. Mark 6, 4 is the clearest, which says, But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honour, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. Now, I believe that Jesus Christ has gone to those disciples' hometowns because they're going out, they're doing the things of God, and Jesus is going out and giving the best possible chance for their families, their friends, the people they know to get saved. And you might think, oh, you're reading too much into that. Well, why does it say to go and preach in their cities? And it clearly then talks about some of their cities afterwards. And, and, and the reason I say that as well is because, look, obviously a prophet is, is not without honour, okay? You will find it harder, sadly, to get your family, your friends, those people that saw you growing up, those people that that have seen you, you know, warts and all and everything else, you'll find it hard to get them to listen to you and to, to preach the gospel to them. But you know who they are more likely to listen to is other brothers and sisters in Christ, aren't they? And that's something that, that I've heard other many people talk about that I, I, will, I offer to anyone here. I hope everyone else here is, who's confident preaching the gospel say the same. I would happily preach the gospel to any of your family members, find a way to make it happen. We should all want to do that for each other, right? Jesus Christ, there was a hundred things you could have done, a hundred places you could have, could have gone. And he actually chose to go, I believe, into their cities, like it says there, and go and preach the gospel to the people that probably wouldn't have heard it and received it from themselves. And we should all be offering that to each other, right? I remember hearing a story 
story, I think, Pastor Thompson talking once about how Brother Stucky, like, went, you know, hours wherever he, I can't remember where it was, went hours out of his way to go and try and preach the gospel to some of his, one of his family members somewhere in a place where Brother Stucky wasn't a long way from. But when we say a long way, we're talking like a three-hour three drive or something, you know? And, and, but, and, and we think, wow, that's really great. We should all be willing to do the same, shouldn't we? Yeah, we should all know. I've actually had a, someone from this church trying to preach gospel to my brother where she lives nearby and, and hopefully she hasn't given up because he never seems to answer the door. But, you know, and, and it's something that I hope that we, you know, we would all do for each other. And if you have a family or friend and you think someone's not that far from them, ask them. Yeah, ask them. Is there, is there a chance you could do that? Because I believe they're more likely to listen to someone else, aren't they? More likely to listen to someone who's not, uh, who's not someone that grew up with them, who's not someone that they maybe have lost respect for for one reason or another, you know, over life. Because a lot of us probably have done things in life where people are less likely to listen to us than preaching the gospel to them. Let's continue though. Now, when, when John, this is verse two now. Now, when John had heard in the prison, in the prison there, the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, art thou he that should come or do we look for another? Now, turn to, um, turn to John chapter one. Why is he questioning? Notice he's just questioned if he's the Christ, yeah? And you turn to John chapter one. I'll just read that again while you're turning there. He said, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? John the Baptist knows who Jesus Christ is, okay? John chapter 1 and verse 15 we're going to look from. John 1.15 says, John bear witness of him and cried, saying, this is John the Baptist, bearing witness of Jesus Christ, this was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. This is before Jesus Christ's baptism. John knew who he was. Jump forward to verse 29 says the next day, verse 29, next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come, baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record, don't miss it, that this is the Son of God. Okay, John the Baptist knew exactly who Jesus Christ was. So go back to Matthew 11, 2. Go back to where we were, Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. It says, Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Why is he questioning? Well, because his faith is shaken, isn't it? John the Baptist's faith is shaken. He's in prison. And, and we, we see later on in chapter 14 that it was for preach against King Herod. And that can be a time when many people have moments of doubt, don't they? And, and look, John the Baptist had moments of doubt. Okay, everyone here in this room is going to have times in their life when they question their faith, when they doubt their, fa their faith, when they have those times. Okay, it, it's not, you're not, oh, I must be unsaved because I've had a moment of doubt. Or I must be a really bad Christian. Look, John the Baptist had moments of doubt. When do we often have moments of doubt is when we're under some sort of persecution, going through some sort of tribulation, going through some sort of hard time. And that's often when people start to doubt the Lord, start to doubt his, you know, that, that maybe that they're slightly off on something, they're wrong with something, maybe that he'll come through for them. Maybe even once they start to doubt their actual faith and their belief, okay? But there's a difference between doubting and not believing, isn't there? 
Okay, and obviously if you're saved, you're saved, yeah, nothing can change that. But he does doubt here. It said, when he had heard in prison the works of Christ. Now, it said he had heard the works of Christ. Now, it could be that he's hearing of the miracles that Jesus relays in chapter 5, or, um, sorry, in verse 5, or, or perhaps it's more to do with what Jesus speaks about later in the chapter. But look at verse 18. Just something I was thinking of here. If you look at verse 18, it says, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he had the devil. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. So if you go back to Matthew 9 for a second, go back to Matthew chapter 9, because perhaps the works he's hearing of aren't what he was expecting. Because in Matthew 9.14, we read this. Then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast off, but thy disciples fast not? So they're questioning him. And you could imagine that maybe they're saying, this isn't really what we expected. You know, you, you know I'm in the wilderness. I'm fasting. My disciples are fasting. You're not. He goes on to say in verse 17, if you remember, Jesus Christ said this. He says, Neither do men put new wine into old bottles, else the bottles break, and the wine runneth out, and the bottles perish, but they put new wine into new bottles, and both are preserved. And we looked at how hard it is for those used to doing things one way to maybe accept the new way. And obviously, I'm not talking about salvation here with John, because we looked at that with salvation as well, but he's saved, but he's having moments of doubt, isn't he? You know, it could be, why am I in prison? And perhaps... This isn't how I was expecting Jesus Christ to be. I'm in prison and now I'm looking and I'm, I wasn't expecting him to come like this. I, I wasn't expecting him to be maybe eating and drinking with publicans and sinners. And this isn't what I was expecting. This isn't the Jesus Christ that I was expecting. I didn't expect to be getting persecuted in prison. Maybe, maybe that's what it's about. Because people can be like that about Christians too, can't they? And, and I might be off there. Maybe, maybe he's literally talking about the works that he's done. But it's interesting for me that afterwards we see that that before that they're questioning about the fasting and everything else and then it's talking about that while he's in prison he's 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 basically saying you know what's going on here maybe 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 he's saying this isn't the jesus christ that you know that i was expecting christians can be like that people can be like that about christians can't they they go well this isn't what i was expecting because you know, many people here would have had an idea of what a Christian should be like, yeah? Many people here would have, been, would have been pushed on them, an idea of what a Christian should be like. And you have that, that old cliche, like we talked about the other day, that's not very Christ-like. How many times will you hear that sort of nonsense? That's not very Christ-like. But what is Christ-like? And, and people try and give this image and try and give this idea of what a Christian should be like. And then maybe they're a bit shocked. Maybe they're a bit shocked when they come to a church like this. And yeah, they're different people for different walks of life, but they're just normal, regular people. Regular people who love the Lord and want to serve the Lord. But we're not all walking around, you know, with our, you know, just, just very, you know, bent over and apologising before we say anything to anyone. And maybe, maybe that's the idea. Or maybe that, you know, their ideas that a Christian should just be so holy and everything they say should be scripture, 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 everything they say. Or maybe they expect that a Christian should, should just be constantly just talking about the Lord, everything they say. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. You know, you're like, I got here in, in 45 minutes, they praise the Lord, you know, and everything. They, everyone has their idea, don't they? And then when you don't, maybe don't meet up to those expectations. Is this, is this a Christian? Uh, and, and Christians do that with, with the real Jesus Christ, don't they, as well? So they hear Christ being preached. They hear the word of God. They read the word of God. And then they think, is that, 
you know, is that really? Is that really Jesus Christ? This isn't what I was expecting. I wasn't expecting, you know, Jesus Christ to say, you know, through his word that, that there are people in this world that he hates, that he hates God haters. I wasn't expecting Jesus Christ to be so judgmental. You know, and, 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 you know, and the rest of the kind of cliche nonsense that you hear. And then what do they do? Then they, they become offended in him, don't they? Basically, they get put off him. And, and here, you know, especially when you're going through a hard time being persecuted for his sake. Maybe there are people here that have had times where they're going through some persecution, they're going through some hard times. They're then seeing the real Lord Jesus Christ being preached and they're reading in the word of God that you are going to go through persecution, you are going to go through tribulation. They go, well, this isn't what I was expecting. Is any of this even real? They start doubting and questioning and everything else. Well, Jesus answers, said unto them, go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. So verse five there is all prophecies found in the book of Isaiah. Now maybe he's saying, forget what you want to see, do I line up with the word of God? How about that? Forget what you want to see. Forget the image that you've created of what the Christ will be like. Forget that. Do I line up with the word of God? And that's something that we can often, that's a great way to strengthen your faith in times of doubt. Times of, does he line up with the word of God? Yes, he does. In fact, you could go even further and not just say, does he line up with the word of God? Does he fulfill tons and tons of prophecy? Yes, he does. And the more you read your Bible, the more you read through from, new, from, from Genesis through to Revelation, the more you just... It, it's, it's impossible. It's absolutely impossible for, for someone to have fulfilled that many prophecies. It's impossible without it being the Lord, without it being the Lord Jesus Christ, without it being all of God. It's impossible. But it takes reading it to remind yourself of that, doesn't it? And, and, and he says to him here, he says, he says, go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. And then he basically is showing, I am fulfilling all the prophecies. I am who the word of God said I was going to be. Yeah, I'm not who maybe the Pharisees said I was going to be. I'm not who the scribes said I was going to be, but I am who the word of God said I was going to be. And he said, blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Offended, you know, can mean different things. I think he's just saying displeased here, unhappy, you know, maybe even stumbles at me. He's saying, go and tell John that he'll be blessed if he's not disappointed that I'm not how he wants me to be. Okay, go and tell John that he'll be blessed. And, and look, we're, all of us here will be more blessed in life if we just let the word of God define who Jesus Christ is and not ourselves. Not our own preconceived ideas, not our world's preconceived ideas, not the way the world wants to tell us to believe in Jesus, who Jesus is meant to be. But what does the word of God say? What does the word of God say? And the word of God makes it clear who Jesus Christ is. The more we learn about that, the, the, the less we'll be displeased or offended when things don't go our way in life. It's not for us to mould Jesus into what we want because then we will be disappointed. Now, he reminds him of where we should be going to know Jesus, doesn't he, here, the word. Because that's what he said there. He said, you know, show him those things. He gives a list of these prophecies being fulfilled. And he's basically saying, you need to make sure you're going to the word, John. Make sure you're going to the word. That's where you get to know the Lord Jesus Christ, from the word of God, isn't it? And, and the more you read the Bible, when you have those moments, that's the most important time to open your Bible. And look, we've had those times, had those kind of weak times before. I know myself, I look back in my past and think of times when I've had weak times and I've opened up my Bible and it's like, that's, that's of God. 
That's the word of God. That, how, you can't doubt when you're reading the word of God, can you? There's nothing like it. But that, like we talked about on Sunday, that's a time so often when people stop reading their Bibles. So often when they go through hard times, they stop reading their Bible, then they start doubting, they start doubting more and more and more. That's the most important time to read your Bible. Now, on the back of this, you could read this and think, John the Baptist is a bit of a disappointment here, isn't he? You go, come on, John, bit of prison time, and you're already questioning if this is a... You saw the, 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 the Spirit of God, you know, descending upon him, didn't you? You, you, you know, you heard the voice from heaven, You've, you know, you knew who he was, you said, behold the Lamb of God which shakes away the sins of the world, you said it all, and now, and now you're questioning, what's wrong with you? Well, look what he then says here after this, verse 7, and as they departed, so these are the disciples here of, of John the Baptist, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, what went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yeah, I say unto you, a more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. He's just said that John the Baptist is the greatest man ever. John, who was just having a major time of doubt, yeah? He just said he's the greatest man ever. Because even the greatest men ever had moments of doubt, okay? You're all in good company, okay? All of us, we're all in good company because even the greatest man ever, John the Baptist had a moment, at least there, one moment, probably more of doubt. Now, look, it's not that we want to have those times in life, do we? But, but when we have them, it's, good. It's, it's a good reminder. John the Baptist had them too. Many other prophets, you see in the Bible, had moments of questioning, moments of doubt, moments of doubting what the Lord's saying to them, moments of doubting, you know, life and things like that. What was the answer here? Well, like I said, Jesus reminded John that he was fulfilling prophecies. Back to the word of God. Now, verse 7 then says, And as they departed, Jesus began to sound to the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see a reed shake with the wind? But what went ye out... For to see a man clothed in soft raiment, behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. So he's saying, will you expect some designer suit wearing, smooth talker, flip-flopping on doctrine to please whoever is in front of him? That's what he's saying there really, isn't he? Is that what you're expecting to see? Turn to Ephesians chapter 4 on that. I believe that's what it's talking about, that reed shaking in the wind. A reed is like a large grass-type plant. Think of like the bamboo or something else like that. And these sorts of plants will get moved easily by the wind, won't they? Ephesians 4 and verse 11 talks of the abilities given to those in a church. Ephesians 4.11. And it says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets. It's Ephesians 4.11. And some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come in a unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's a complete man there. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speak the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is ahead even Christ. So that verse 14 there, talking about being tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. The point is that we want to learn and grow so that we're not like that, don't we? 
and we don't want to be tossed about with every wind of doctrine. And, and look, again, when you were probably newly saved, a lot of us here probably got tossed about with every wind of doctrine. I know I was getting tossed about to and fro with every wind of doctrine at the beginning. And, and you know, and I'm not saying we're all immune to that now, but, but the newer saved you are, the easier that is, isn't it? And by the way, kids here, that's why it's important when you're newly saved, or not even newly saved, to listen to your, listen to your parents. If your parents come into a church like this, Look, you know, they've already, for me, become worthy to be listened to, okay? And that means listen to them. Don't start getting too headstrong, you know, in your teen years and you start to think you know best. Yeah, listen to your parents because it's very easy to get tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. And by the way, it said that we henceforth be no more children and because foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. And kids are easy to be tossed to and fro, which is why it's so important as parents that we protect our kids from getting tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Okay, because people are lying in wait to deceive our kids. They're lying in wait to pull them away, to pull them out of a good church like this, to pull them out of the things of God, to pull them out of the King James Bible, to pull them out of the key doctrines of the Word of God. We need to protect them from that. But here, my, my point in turning here is just to show that that being carried about, the kind of toss to and fro, the wind, you know, etc. Et for me is, is kind of highlighting that John wasn't someone that was just flip-flopping on doctrine, was he? John might have had a moment of doubt in his life, but it didn't mean that he was some weak Christian. Okay, he was actually a he was the greatest man that lived, that was out there preaching hard. He was preaching the truth. He spoke the truth in love, didn't he? Like we just saw here, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is ahead even Christ. We need to speak the truth in love as well. Okay, and that's not always going to sound nice. Sometimes when you speak the truth in love, because a lot of these sharp suit wearing smooth talkers will change their doctrine for the audience, won't they? don't they? They'll change their doctrine depending on who's in the church, depending on what sort of flavour they're feeling right now, depending on where the money's coming from, depending on, on many different things like that. They'll just change, chop and change to suit whoever it is. But that's not how we want to be, do we? Yeah, we want to make sure that we're just, we're not getting, you know, blown around with every wind of doctrine. We, our doctrine comes from the Word of God, doesn't it? Not from the slight of men and cunning craftiness. Go back to Matthew chapter 11. He said in verse 8, But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment. Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. And just a quick point on that, because soft clothing was obviously a sign of wealth, wasn't it? Okay, and if they're getting rich from preaching the word of God, then something's amiss. Okay, just to make that very clear. Yeah, we've got to, you know, find the, the, the you know, we don't want to go too far in each direction, like I preached the other day, you know, about the labour being worthy of his reward. But no one should be getting rich preaching the word of God, should they? You know, if I started coming in here in Armani suits and things like that, then something's up, okay? And you've got every right to go, what on earth is going on, brother? And let's be honest, you should feel like an idiot, really, shouldn't you? Because here at least, here's a part, I was thinking this when I looked at this, at least then you probably got some soft clothing for your money. There was probably a point in actually those riches, well, at least you'd probably be a bit more comfortable. But nowadays people just spend through the roof, like ridiculous amounts of money on things which probably aren't really any softer. I mean, just get a good tumble dry if you want it really soft. Yeah, it'd be a lot cheaper. But instead, it's just extortionate amounts of money just to look good, isn't it? It's not even that, that the clothes feel any more comfortable. I mean, I don't know if anyone's sitting here thinking it's like sandpaper, what I'm wearing. If you do, then okay, you can understand, yeah? But most people aren't, because nowadays I don't think, you know, it's, it's not like, oh, the softest things, yeah? Maybe there's some, I don't know, cashmere, things like that. Probably feel quite nice, yeah? I mean, you always used to make me feel itchy, those sorts of things. But maybe, they, maybe they're quite nice, right? But, but really, 
look, does it make much difference? And most of the time, people are spending through the nose to have, a, have some sort of label, to have some sort of cup that people can tell, oh, you yeah, know, that's an expensive suit or that's an expensive whatever and nowadays obviously it'd be probably more like a suit although some of these particularly wealthy guys it's more like the i don't know the suit jacket with the chinos and whatever else they wear and very expensive t-shirts which how on earth are they that expensive but anyway so you get all this sort of stuff but it's ridiculous isn't it and that's not what john the baptist john the baptist was with you know a leathern girdle wasn't he and, and you know, and he, uh, he was wearing animal skin. I mean, but yeah, maybe that could be quite expensive. But I think he probably butchered it himself, didn't he? But what went you out for to see a prophet? Yeah, I say unto you, a more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Now, this is from Malachi chapter 3. Um, and you can turn there if you like quickly. Malachi chapter 3, just before the book of Matthew, last, last book of the Old Testament. Matthew chapter, uh, Malachi sorry, chapter 3 and verse 1, which reads, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Notice how it said, Behold, I will send my messenger, he shall prepare the way before me. Yeah, notice that. Yeah, that's the Lord, the Lord our God, right? Well, at least speaking through Malachi there. John the Baptist was that messenger, wasn't he? And by the way, just I just thought this reading this. It, and obviously, you know, it's not a new thought here, but but you can see why the false Jews will readily accept the Antichrist along with the false prophet, can't you? Because they're looking for that prophet to pave the way and everything else, and that's that for me is why they accept the Antichrist with the false prophet. Yeah, it's just it's a sham, isn't it? It's a fake. The fact that they're already a couple of thousand years too late is obviously lost on them, but, you know, they're, they're still looking for that, aren't they? Which is the, one of the roles of the false prophet, isn't it? Anyway, verse 11 says, Verily, uh, back to where we are, sorry, back to in, in Matthew chapter chapter 11, and verse 11 says, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, so we've just seen, obviously, that there was this prophecy of John the Baptist coming to pave the way, it says, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So why is the least or lowest in the kingdom of heaven greater than John the Baptist? Because there's no sin in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, because you don't have your sinful flesh. Once the flesh is gone, well, it's either soul or eventually soul and glorified body, which will be a sinless body in the image of Christ. There's no sin. So even the least, even the person that's done, you know, the very least and, and everything else. And, and, you know, obviously we're saved by grace through faith. And, you know, they've done nothing for God after that. They're still going to be greater than John the Baptist because they're not going to have the sinful flesh. Then they will, you'll never have those moments of doubt once you're in heaven. And I know that should go without saying. You'll never have those moments of doubt where, when you're in the millennial reign with that sinless body because you're not going to have any sin, are you? And, and that's why he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. And that's a great thought to think about, isn't it? You look at this great man, John the Baptist, and yeah, we're looking at a low point in his life. He is in prison, okay? He is in prison and wondering what's going on right now. But a great man like John the Baptist and every single one of us here without that sinful flesh will be greater than he. I believe that's what it's talking about there. And look at it, look what it says in verse 12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffered with violence and the violent take it by force. Now, firstly, let's just have a look at what does it mean from the days of John the Baptist? 
wasn't he in the days of John the Baptist? So what's he talking about here? Well, the days of John the Baptist, I believe, being the Old Testament, yeah? Verse 13 says, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. The days, like the generation, it's the Old Testament. They were all preaching the coming Christ. John was the last of the Old Testament prophets, wasn't he? It says in verse 14, and if you will receive it, this is Elias, which was for to come. Now, this is a bit of a, for many, a mystery. Turn to Luke 1, which I think helps explain this Elijah-John mystery here. Jesus said of John the Baptist in Matthew 17, 12, well, you're turning to, to Luke chapter 1, but I say unto you that Elias is come already, talking about Elijah here, but, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed, likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. So, talking about John the Baptist here. But then in John 1.21, if you're still turning to Luke 1, or you've probably already got there, but don't worry, I'm going to read it anyway. John 1.21, when the priests and Levites asked if he's Elijah, John said no. He said, and they asked him, what then? Art, art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, no. So what's going on here? Well, Luke 1, and from verse 13, we see the angel appears to John's father, Zacharias, before John's born. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So basically, it says in verse 17, he came in the spirit and power of Elias or Elijah. Okay, the spirit and power of Elijah. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking about, and, and this is kind of done quickly. I'm sure there are more. But here are some interesting comparisons for you when you look at the life of Elijah. Elijah was described in 2 Kings 1.8 as a hairy man and girt with a girdle of leather about his loins. Matthew 3.4 says of John the Baptist, the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins. His meat was locusts and wild honey. First time we see Elijah in 1 Kings 17.3, he's told, get thee hence and turn thee eastward and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. John's first real appearance was baptising in Jordan, wasn't it? Elijah is sustained by, by pretty wild food from the mouth of the ravens, isn't he, early in his life? John is eating locusts and wild honey. Elijah confronts and slays the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18. John confronts and prophesies the spiritual slaying of the Pharisees and Sadducees in Matthew 3, doesn't he? Elijah preaches against King Ahab. John preaches against King Herod. It's King Ahab's wife Jezebel that seeks to slay Elijah. And it's King Herod's wife Herodias that seeks to slay John. Elijah has a low faith moment in 1 Kings 19 whilst being hunted by Jezebel. John has just had his low faith moment whilst in prison for Herodias' sake, right? Elijah was given food and water to sustain him at that time. John was given the spiritual food and water, the word of God, to sustain him. That's what Jesus basically said, didn't he? So for me, the spirit and power of Elijah was the ability to dwell in the wilderness, the spirit to take on the false prophets, the spirit to take on the evil king, the power to do all that sort of stuff. They were basically the same kind of prophet, weren't they? That's what I believe it is. That's how I see that. I, it's no reincarnation of Elijah. I don't believe that at all. 
Um, I just believe it's in the spirit and power of. He's basically a very similar prophet whose early life, or at least, sorry, his life seems to almost have so many similarities with the early life of Elijah. What did verse 12 mean? Where it said, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and a violent take it by force. Cue a load of, you know, false doctrine about, you know, all sorts of battles and wars going on that we, you know, and there's probably some hidden books, aren't there? And there are, by the way, in case anyone <laughs> doesn't realise I'm joking. For me, it just means that throughout the Old Testament, because it's talking about from the days of John the Baptist, and like I said, I believe that's just talking about the days of John the Baptist being the Old Testament prophets. These wicked people have violently kept the kingdom of heaven from people, haven't they? That's what they've done. They violently, by violence, they've kept the kingdom of heaven. They've taken it by force from others. Turn to Matthew 23, where Jesus makes this point even clearer. In Matthew chapter 23, and he says from verse 29, Matthew 23, 29, he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous. And say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Okay, they, they would take it by violence. Wherefore, ye be witness unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers. How can ye escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. That upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, and the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zechariah, son of Barakai, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, for I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. They killed the prophets and stoned them that were sent unto them, right? Okay, that's, that's what I believe he's talking about there. That's how the kingdom of heaven suffered violence, the violent take it by force. However, those prophets were still sent, weren't they? They were still sent, they still called, they still piped, they still mourned. If you look at the following verses, verse 16, back to where you were in Matthew 11, Matthew 11 verse 16 says, But whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows, and saying, We have piped unto you, and ye have not danced, we have mourned unto you, and ye have not lamented. Okay, th this for me, then continued with John the Baptist. This has been from, I think, the beginning, but that's the generation, isn't it? But it's, it's even continuing now, where it says, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he had the devil. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of her children. Now, the first application there is you just can't win with God-rejectors, can you? Okay, you just can't win, can you? you? You come and you're fasting and you're living, you know, this kind of humble life out in the wilderness and eating, you know, locusts and honey and, you know, and, and wearing, you know, animal skin and everything else. And, and they say you've got a devil. And, and then, you know, you come and, and you, you sit down, you eat and drink with them and, you know, and, and you're, you're, you're with the sinners, the publicans, you know, trying to get them saved and everything else. And then you're just, you're just called a, a glutton and a wine bibber. 
and you just can't win. And, and you know, like we talked about last week with this, is so often people are constantly like they think they're going to find the missing ingredient to get people saved. They're going to find this newfangled way, a way to reach the teenagers, a way to reach the... I remember a guy many years ago, a family member-in-law, saying to me, well, you know, you're not going to reach the kids with, you know, with the King James, with the these and the thous and the thys. Why? Well, oh, sorry, we need to change the Bible to reach the kids, do we? No, the Word of God has always been what's, what's reached people. And it's the same... Really, it's the same, isn't it? That, that same kind of... Uh, that same mentality as, well, we need the flashing lights in here. Guys, we need to get the drum kit out and we need the electric guitar because we're not reaching the kids. We need, and, and, and what happens with, with all of those churches being much, they don't end up preaching the gospel anyway. They go completely apostate. And yeah, they might be having a load of kids come in, but no one's getting saved anyway. But look, you know, you can't win with them. And there's no point trying to find the secret ingredient to win. Preach the gospel, preach the gospel. And, that, and that's what we have. We have the word of God. That's what gets people saved. So there, you know, first application is you can't win with God rejectors. They're just lying about both John and Jesus. Did John have a devil? Anyone think John the Baptist had a devil? No. Was Jesus a glutton? No. And neither was he a wine bibber. But how many people will go to this passage and then go, see, Jesus was boozy? Well, what are you talking about? Because he, they're lying about him. They're lying. No, he wasn't a boozer. It's all lies as, it, as an excuse to reject him. Because people like to lie about the Lord Jesus Christ as an excuse to reject him, don't they? And you hear that a lot on the door. Well, didn't, doesn't God, or didn't he do this, or didn't he, you know, or didn't Jesus Christ do this? And it's just lies, isn't it, to reject him. But while we're on this subject, because it's just something that's not preached that often, what is a glutton? What is a glutton? Well, according to Proverbs 23... You might as well turn now. I know we were there on Sunday as well. It's a riotous eater of flesh, or at least it could be a riotous eater of flesh. At least it can be used synonymously, or maybe a riotous eater of flesh is a glutton. Proverbs 23 and from verse 20 says, Be not among wine-bibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh, for the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. So... According to Proverbs 23, you know, a wine-bibber can, you know, I think can be used interchangeably with drunkard, and uh, the riotous eater of flesh can be, can be interchanged with the word glutton. Now, turn up in Deuteronomy 21.20, being a glutton is connected with being stubborn and rebellious, and they shall say unto the elders of the city, this our son is stubborn and rebellious, he will not obey our voice, he is a glutton and a drunkard. Point being that... that Overweight people aren't necessarily gluttonous, and underweight people can be gluttonous. Yeah, in fact, there are some gluttonous people that have like eating disorders and things like that because they're such gluttons. Yeah, and just the reason I say that is because you know I've heard people just try and like create like that person can't say anything because they're a glutton because they're maybe overweight or something. But you don't know anything. You know, we really don't know. There's many reasons why people aren't the shape that our our society's told us is right. That's the right shape and whatever else. And Really, you know, being a glutton, what I see here, is someone who's a riotous eater of flesh. That's a bit different to someone who maybe, you know, hasn't got, you know, is maybe more susceptible to carbs than someone else, or maybe someone else who's maybe got a sweet tooth, or someone else, you know, whatever it is, you know, it's something that I think is thrown out, but I don't think it's as clear as we like to think, or at least maybe people that aren't gluttons like to think. Um, a glutton here is someone who's a riotous eater of flesh, 
that's what I see. That's the only real definition. It's only used the word a couple of times. And also it's something that's kind of combined with people that are stubborn and rebellious. Well, okay, Jesus was none of these, was he? Was Jesus a glutton? No. Was Jesus a drunkard? No. Was he a wine-bibber? No. Jesus Christ, through his word, said not to even look upon fermented alcohol, okay? And we made that very clear on Sunday evening. But wisdom is justified of her children. We get our wisdom from the children of wisdom, don't we? Which is, which is saved people, not the world, yeah? The world will try and give you its wisdom on things. The world tries to tell us that Jesus must have been a boozer because they just can't get their head around the fact that wine could have applied to anything else other than the more recent, you know, definition of alcoholic grape juice. Whereas, no, wine was used for both, both, like I said before, both fermented and unfermented juice. Jesus Christ was not a wine-bibber. They accuse him of being one. Okay, verse 20 then says, Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. It says here, Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And now Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which should have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. So the point here is that the places where Jesus was performing miracles, doing mighty works, are held to a higher standard, yeah? And I think it's quite an obvious point here. He uses the most extreme example of Sodom to show how God views such an open rejection of Christ. So you've got Sodom, you've got this wicked place, and he's, and he's basically saying it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment... So those people that lived, these wicked, vile Sodomites, yeah, who, were, who you know, as the Bible teaches us, these types of people are basically rapists, gang rapists, they're just complete abusers, the, the most wicked people. It's, it's going to be more tolerable for them in the day of judgment than those which openly just have rejected the most clear display of Jesus Christ. Now, don't get me wrong, these people have rejected what knowledge of God, you know, has been shown to them, etc., and become reprobate, okay? But I believe that the, the places he's talking about here as well, these people become reprobate, okay? The point being is that not, they haven't just rejected, you know, for, you know, the knowledge that they've given to some degree. They've actually had Jesus Christ in the flesh doing miracles in their towns, in their cities, in their faces, preaching the word, etc., and they've still rejected him. I mean, that's amazing, really, isn't it? Isn't it amazing, really, when you think about it? And, and we know that blessed are they which have not seen and yet believe. And, and you know, and it's, you know, I don't want to like us to all get on our high horses here, but when you think that there are people in a room like this and many, many over the world and have throughout history that have just heard the word of God preached to them, and have got saved and you think you can understand why he's preaching hard against these people he's saying look like there are people that will that there are people to come like he said to thomas doubting thomas that are just going to hear the word they haven't even seen me and they're going to put their faith in me and get saved and and then you're going to these towns and cities and you're doing amazing miracles it's jesus christ it's god in the flesh doing all these great things i mean he's raising people from the dead he's giving sight to the blind he's you know healing lepers he's doing these amazing things and yet, you know, multiplying food, you know, all this stuff, and they reject him. 
And, and, and like we said here, they'll just find a reason. They'll find a reason. They'll call him a drunkard and a glutton. They'll say to John, he's, he had the devil. And they will do the same to us, won't they? But it's not a slight on you. It's just people that just reject the Lord. But the thing is, is when it's there in front of you, performing miracles, that's a big rejection. And something this made me think about, and something that, that you know, and again, you know, you, nothing wrong with that. Our kids here are just as much of the congregation as anyone else. Kids, kids here, yeah? Kids, you're sitting here listening, and any kids who, who may be from our church that might be watching along with their parents, yeah? If you're sitting in a church like this, and that goes for anyone, if you sit in a church like this, preaching the clear word of God, you're going out and listening to soul winning, the gospel being preached, you're hearing the word of God being preached and the gospel being preached and clearly being regularly alluded to behind this. Yeah, I'm not preaching the gospel every single service, but the gospel comes up a lot, yeah? And you still reject, like you're on a big, big nosedive to reprobation, okay? You sit in this church and you listen to the word of God and you're around soul when you're hearing the gospel being preached. And if you're sitting there and you're still basically rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ, not just kids here, anyone here, anyone watching online or anyone who comes to this church, like that is a big deal. That is a big problem. And, and, and look, it's going to be more tolerable for the wicked, vile sodomites than for you in the day of judgment. You're going to be going to a lowest depths of, depths of hell because you have had the truth given to you. You've had it here. You've had the word of God preached. And for whatever's in your wicked hearts, if you've rejected it, I'm not saying all you kids are wicked. I'm sure you're all saved. But if you are rejecting it, adults, kids, anyone sitting in a church like this, wow, it, I, I, I see the same here. You're seeing miracles. You're seeing people change their lives around. If you've been in this church for the last near two years, you've seen people come into this church, you've seen a big difference throughout their lives, haven't you? You've seen changes in everyone in here. Everyone in here, you've seen changes over months. You've seen miracles being performed. You've seen people getting saved. You've been, you've, you've been out watching people on a doorstep rejecting Christ. 30 minutes later, putting their faith in Christ. If you're still rejecting the word of God, that is that is dangerous. That is more than dangerous. It's going to be more tolerable. For, I, I think that applies to you. That applies to people that are around it, that are seeing it, that are seeing the miracles of the Lord. And that is a stark warning. If you're there and you've got some sort of pride issue, some sort of issue where you won't put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to get on your knees after this service. You can get on your knees now and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and say, I'm sorry, because you don't want to be, you don't want to be those people he's talking about here where it'll be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you, okay? And, that's a, and I have no doubt that, that, that the word of God, every single word of it is true. And if the word of God says that, for people that are clearly rejecting the open revelation of Jesus Christ, that is a risk to anyone sitting here, anyone watching online, anyone that sits here week in, week out, anyone that goes out solely in the rest of it. And look, that's everywhere, isn't it? Rejectors around proper churches, they become reprobate, don't they? They become reprobate. Maybe there, maybe there are people, maybe, you don't know, maybe people that end up turning on churches like ours are ones that we just weren't saved. Maybe they didn't come in as infiltrates in the first place. Maybe they came in, they were drawn to the light, like many did, didn't they? Many that didn't believe were drawn to the light of John, and then they didn't end up getting saved, did they? They ended up, and many, many didn't believe and just went away, didn't they? And, but look, maybe many come to churches like ours and others and maybe they came and they just you know there was still some sort of hang-up and then they just rejected whatever there was they rejected they rejected they rejected eventually they're given over to reprobate mind and then they turn into some sort of wicked problem in in a church like ours 
And, and look, you don't want to be that, OK? You don't want to end up being the church infiltrator. You don't want to end up being some sort of wicked... But kids, you need to make sure, if you're sitting here and you're still not sure, make sure you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ today. Adults, too. At that time, verse 25, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and has revealed them unto babes. OK, so the wise and prudent in the world's eyes... Who are they? The scholars, the doctors of theology, you know, the, 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 the philosophical experts. There's a lot of philosophical experts out there, aren't there? They don't understand a word of the Bible. The, the intellectual giants of our day. And they've been intellectual giants of every day, haven't they, really? And, and they're not really intellectual giants, because 1 Corinthians 1.19 says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. And we've just seen him say, because he has hid these things from the wise and prudent. And really their understanding, their wisdom is nothing, isn't it? And they, they basically have less knowledge and wisdom, I believe, than a babe in Christ. He said, and has revealed them unto babes which is what all of these people really were. I mean, he's talking to the multitudes here. These are mainly people that are newly saved. It's not like there are people coming along going, I've been saved for years, Jesus. You know, like we said, uh, like we were talking about, about with the new bottles and the, or the new wine, sorry, and the old bottles and, you know, and with the garment and putting on the new bit of cloth onto an old garment. I think it's very hard for people to then get on board with sort of that New Testament, sort of that new teaching and everything else. Even probably for John and some of his disciples or the ones that hadn't then gone over and started following the Lord Jesus Christ. And really, you know, these people mainly are babes in Christ, but as, and everyone here has been a babe or is a babe in Christ. You have more wisdom because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay, it's the beginning of wisdom. You have more wisdom than the wisest so-called intellectual scholar, philosopher, you know, theological expert in, in this nation. And, and really, as you learn, as you grow, as you grow as a Christian, don't you listen to these guys? And it is, it's laughable. Laughable. I always, I always just think of that more on Jordan Peterson, because it is laughable. It's, I mean, I believe this guy's a false prophet, really, because he claims to believe or teach the Bible and have some belief in God. But whatever he is, he's a complete moron. He, he is an idiot, isn't he? But, but he's so appealing to the people of this world because he's got, he's got this vocabulary, although he seems to make up words as he goes along. He's got this vocabulary and he just kind of talks a roundabout way and everything else. But we can all be conned by those people, okay? We can all be conned. But I do believe the more you grow and the more you, you grow, in knowledge, the less you kind of get conned by them as well because you just start to see through it more and more, don't you? And, and you, you get less influenced by the word salad that comes out of their mouth. Because that's so often what it is. That's what's meant to con you. And, and I've, I've had a thought about this. If someone can't answer something succinctly, yeah, can't just answer a simple question in, in a fairly quick, non-roundabout way, it's either, number one, it's either because they don't know the answer, or number two, it's because they love the sound of their voice. And, and people like him are just an absolute, they're just a sham, aren't they? You, you see, like, you see these interviews where they'll ask someone like him a question. It's, oh, well, uh, if you look into the... It's just, what are you doing? Just answer the question, man. And, and it's so often it's to... It's, it's basically because they don't know the answer and it's to make them just sound and seem very inte intelligent. They're so intellectual. But we've got to make sure we don't get conned by these people, OK? Because many Christians will still go to the world, go to the worldly philosopher, go to the worldly scholar, go to the doctor of theology and, and want the explanation from him rather than 
from the word of God. From the word of God or from just, a, just, just someone preaching the word of God. And yeah, we don't want to go too far. If people go too far, like, you know, if the guy's not, you know, if I'm in England, not, you know, kind of can barely string a sentence together and sound like I'm not completely from the gutters and, you know, it's not really real Bible preaching. And then you've got the version in the US where you've got like the country boy who's preaching. Everyone's like, yeah, that's, that's, that's God's man because he's literally, you know, barely got any sort of vocabulary at all yeah no we don't need to go too far that way either but we don't need to be impressed by that worldly junk do we oh, really all, all, what we want to hear is we want to hear the word of God preached by someone with the Holy Spirit and we want to ultimately get our knowledge from the word of God ourselves and read the word of God don't we and we don't want to be impressed by so-called intellectuals and the rest of, because they're not impressive and the more you grow the more you, you, you grow in faith the more you'll just see them for the charlatans that most of them really are if I want some wisdom in life, I'm going to go to someone who's not a fool in God's eyes, aren't I? You, you would think, wouldn't you? If I want some wisdom on something in my life, surely I'm going to go to the person that God doesn't look down on and go, you're a fool. Yet again, how many people will still go to these people for wisdom? Now, look, if, it's, if, you know, if I want to know how to, I don't know, how to, how to do something on my car, you know, if I wanted to try and fix my car, yeah, I, I don't need a saved person for that, okay? It'd be quite handy if I did, but I don't need a saved person. In fact, sadly, a lot of times saved people will probably rip you off as much as anyone else, okay? But if I want to know something that, that some sort of wisdom in life and something which ultimately can come from the Word of God, why am I going to go to someone that's a fool in God's eyes? But people do, don't they? Well, 1 Corinthians 3.19, you don't have to turn there, says, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. Now, like I said, that's not to say that we shouldn't want to grow in knowledge, in wisdom, in prudence, but ultimately, where does that come from? The word of God. The word of God. And the more you read the word of God, the cleverer you're going to get. The wiser you're going to get, the more prudent you're going to get, the more knowledgeable you're going to get. You'll grow so much reading the word of God quicker than anything else. Anything else. You'll get wise, you'll get knowledge, but it, but it comes from the Word of God, doesn't it? And, and there'll be people who maybe, you know, by the world standards, aren't they intelligent people? And they read their Bible and they read it day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, you know, and over, over years of coming to a proper church here and preaching and serving God, you'll, you'll, you'll see people and you hear testimonies of people regularly, pastors talk about this, you'll see them literally grow in intelligence. They'll, they'll, they're like it. People are like a different person afterwards, aren't they? But so often we think, oh no, it's all about the, the worldly academics. I've got to go and study this. I've got to go to university. I've got to go and do that. Look, fine if that's going to get you a job that you think that, that's, that's a good job for you. It's God honouring. It's going to help you provide for your family. But so often it's not about that, is it? So often people are just trying to get letters after their names, trying to get some sort of credibility with the world, rather than just getting a job and, and learning, how to, learning how to live for God. Yeah. Verse 26, let's finish up. It says, Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. And what makes him reveal it? Faith. Oh, is it only, oh, is it only certain people? Is he only called certain people? What does verse 28 says? Come unto me all, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Okay, so no, it's not a select few. It's not the you know, the chosen elect, you know, from the, the, there's only a few that God just randomly elected. No, it is all the elect, and the elect are those that have put their faith in Jesus Christ. But whosoever, it's whosoever, come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
and, and the revelation comes through the Lord Jesus Christ, doesn't it? That's how we get to know the Father. That's how we get to know the Son. It comes through faith first. And that's why, you know, all these kind of worldly, you know, study Bibles and all these people out there, all these commentaries, all these online, so they don't have a clue. They don't have a clue. They don't know a thing because most of them aren't saved. If they're not saved, how can they know the Father? And how can they know the Son? And it comes through salvation. And it comes through faith. Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There are a great few verses about the ease of salvation there, aren't they? Remember, he's talking to the multitudes now. The disciples have already been sent out. John's disciples have just left. He's talking to the multitudes. And, he, and I believe here he's saying, get saved. Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's basically how that we can stop labouring for eternal life, can't we? Because we just cast all our sins onto him and enter into his rest. And people can labour all their life. They're not going to get anywhere, are they? The only way you're going to get into heaven is by just entering into his rest. And that comes from just putting your faith in him. Putting your faith in what he did for you, that it's done, it's paid. And it's eternal rest for our souls. And there is then no ongoing burden, is there? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay? You, you, you're not going to be, oh, now I'm saved. I've got to persevere to the end. Well, that doesn't sound like a light burden to me, does it? That sounds like a heavy burden. Oh, now I'm saved, you know, as long as I don't do, you fill in the blank. As long as I keep going to church every week. Sounds like a heavy burden to me. What's a light burden? A light burden is it's grace through faith. And not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. A yeah, nice end to that chapter, isn't it? And yeah, what, what a great, great passage of the Bible, great chapter of the Bible there, and some great truths in there. Um, and on that, we're going to go to the Lord in the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, um, thank you for the ease of salvation. Thank you for, for just that, you know, that, that free gift and, and just, just what, how easy it is to just enter into your rest. It's just like taking a bite of bread or taking a drink of water, you know, ask and you shall receive. And, and look, you know, all of us here, I hope, have, have just asked you for, for salvation. It's, it's a free gift. And, and Lord, I hope that everyone here has. And if they haven't, Lord, then... Uh, I, I pray that you just, just, you know, help anyone here, help any of those, you know, whether they're young, old, you know, whatever it is, to just, to just want to, want to know how to get saved, and, and if they know, to just put their faith in you, to, 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 to just trust you for, for, for eternal life, Lord. And we pray that, um, pray that you help us this week now, um, that, that you just, for the rest of the week, to just, just keep you at the centre of it still, to not just kind of drift back off into the world now, but to just, just remember the things that we've heard and learnt this week from Sunday through to now, and help us to, to get out soul winning as well, and, and, and to return here on a Sunday um, to, to, to hear the word of, the God pre uh, word of God preached again, and to get out soul winning then as well. In Jesus' name we pray all of this. Amen.